be you. Support for WMNF comes from listeners like you and the Times Festival of Reading on Saturday, November 11th. The festival brings authors writing about today's compelling topics and most read fiction for discussions about their books. This year, the Times Festival of Reading will be at the Palladium in St. Petersburg. More information at festivalofreading.com. That's one word, festivalofreading.com. And good morning and welcome to The Skinny for Friday, November 10th, Veterans Day. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Mitch Perry, senior political reporter for the Florida Phoenix. I'm joined, as I am every week, by my colleagues here in the studio, freelance journalist Ben Montgomery and Ray Roa, editor-in-chief with Creative Loafing. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Mitch. How's it going? Well, uh, I want to make sure to, to shout out to Ben right now. Hopefully we can talk about this later in the program. Ben experienced <laughs> uh, last weekend, he was part of the Tampa Bay 100 Ultra Marathon, where you ran 69 miles? That's that's right. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, made it from uh, Ybor City at 5 a.m. to Indian Rock Shores uh, around 10.30 p.m. when we took a DNF did not finish, uh, but uh, nearly 70 miles under my belt. Feel pretty good. Uh, yeah, great experience a, for the first ever Tampa Bay 100. That congrats is insane. To, congrats oh. to the 50 people who finished this race. Also, when I talk to later in the show, we're going to talk about a proposed land use change in downtown Dunedin that some say could really affect the quality of the neighborhood, particularly when it comes to enjoying live music. But first of all, there's a lot that went on in Florida this week. We had, of course, the Republican Party of Florida's Freedom Summit last Saturday in Kissimmee, where Donald Trump. Trump, Ron DeSantis, and all the other presidential candidates spoke. And, of course, five uh, Florida Republicans who previously endorsed DeSantis jumped ship and went on stage with Trump. And we had the GOP presidential debate on Wednesday night without Donald Trump. And nationally, we had a big election on Tuesday night, uh, particularly in Ohio, where once again abortion rights were on the ballot and abortion rights won. So can that translate to Florida, which, like Ohio, is a former swing state turned a red state in recent years? We want to talk about the potential for a constitutional amendment that abortion rights amendment Advocates are working furiously to get on their required uh, signatures to get on the ballot next year that would affirm abortion care here in Florida. Last year, the legislature passed a law mandating that a woman could only legally get an abortion up to 15 weeks of pregnancy. The state went even further this year with a six-week ban. Both of those laws are before the Florida Supreme Court, which is reviewing the 15-week law. If they affirm that law, it would then become a six-week ban a month later. So joining us to talk about all this right now is Barbara Dravecki, the interim CEO, executive director, excuse me, of Planned Parenthood of Southwest and Central Florida, which is one of 200 local, statewide, and national organizations with the Floridians for Protect, Floridians Protecting Freedom, which is the group attempting to get that measure on the ballot. Barbara, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Mitch. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Great to have you here, Barbara, and great to hear that you're back with uh, Planned Parenthood, right? Well, you, you had retired, but now you're back for a little while here. Well, you know, this is a time when all hands are on deck in order to make sure that this ballot initiative and the services that Planned Parenthood provides are available to uh, women in Florida. Yeah, let's, so let's talk about this petition drive here. Uh, you need, of course, to get roughly uh, approximately 891,000 verified signatures by February 1 of next year. Now, officially, you have gathered less than 500,491,892, according to the uh, website of the State of Division of Elections. That's valid signatures. I know you have more than that. Can you tell us roughly how many signatures you have right now? Well, we are over 50 percent. That's correct. And um, we know that the Division of Elections is 60 days behind in their counts that they um, that they distribute on um, their websites. And so we are in good position. We know that um, the processing is behind and we continue to collect as we are optimistic that we can get to the 
Um, actually, 1.1 million we're going to collect just to make sure that uh, we have all of them validated. But at this point, the ones that you mentioned are validated signatures. So let's talk about, again, the proposed uh, amendment language, which, of course, so we the Supreme Court will be reviewing. Um, right now, we do have in place in Florida uh, a law that says you cannot women cannot have an abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And as we know, that could, of course, uh, go down to six weeks. Um, what are your thoughts about the current conservative majority Ron DeSantis appointed for the Supreme Court, which will uh, is obviously currently looking at those laws. Let's just ask you about the, about the 15 week law, which is before them right now. What, what are your thoughts about how they might come down on that? Well, um, it is a conservative Supreme Court, as you know, which is why we started working on this ballot initiative over a year ago to make sure that we were ready to um, move this forward to enshrine the constitutional rights that our Floridians so deserve. You know, they have to, Floridians have to have the freedom to make our own personal health care decision without interference from the politicians. And time and time again, during my term um, as a CEO and, and Planned Parenthood, we've seen that um, disruption um, through the laws of trying to take away um, Floridians' choices. Now, we mentioned uh, Ohio a moment ago. That, of course, is where the abortion measure was on the ballot in on Tuesday night. It went with a 56 to 44 percent margin, a solid 12 point win there. Uh, now, and, and interestingly, people have been fig- following this. There was a measure earlier this year in Ohio that the voters defeated that would have raised the threshold to pass a uh, an amendment there in in um, in Ohio from 50 percent to 60 percent. So if that had not passed, then uh, basically 56% would not have done it uh, the other night in Ohio. Now, in Florida, of course, the GOP legislature put a similar measure on the ballot in 2006 that raised the threshold to pass constitutional amendments in Florida from 50% to 60%. And we must say the Florida electorate actually voted to do that back in 2006. So now, as we all know, every ballot measure has to get 60% uh, approval. If you get this on the ballot, Barbara Jarecki, are you confident that, that it will pass? Well, yes, because, um, Mitch, you know, polling on um, the attitudes about removing politicians from these decisions really has consistently been over 60 percent when we did this prior to launching our um, effort, which is of 200 different state, local um, and national groups supporting this. And we know in the past when we're looking at uh, ballot initiatives in Florida from marijuana to minimum wage, you know, the um, we have a significant outperformance. Um, in 2016, medical marijuana initiative got 71%, minimum wage got over 61%, and the enthusiasm for this ballot initiative, like it has in every other state that has tried this um, this year, has been palpable. Again, if you're just tuning in right now, we're talking to Barbara Gervecki. She's the interim CEO for Planned Parenthood of Southwest and Central Florida and a leader in Floridians protecting freedom abortion ballot initiative campaign, uh, which, again, is working right now to get enough uh, petitions on the ballot to make it on the 2024 ballot. And of course, we talked to the Supreme Court a moment ago. Not only are we looking at the Supreme Court about what they're doing right now with the 15 week law. But again, you've got you've got to get the ballot language approved by the Supreme Court. Uh, and essentially, that's really their only job is at this point, uh, along with making sure that it's a single subject only. Uh, and we, as you well know, Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody is breathing hard on the court to reject this. She's filed arguments blasting the measure as, quote, misleading 
in an attempt to hoodwink the, hoodwink the voters into kneecapping the court's authority. Uh, in a brief file with the court, she wrote the ballot summary here is part of a similar overall design to lay ticking time bombs that will enable abortion proponents later to argue that the amendment has a much broader meaning than voters would ever have thought. Uh, so she is working very hard on this to stop this. You mentioned a moment ago, we, we know this. We've, we've got the Santa's appointed court here. Barbara, let's talk about this, though, because we know that, you know, what Florida has, of course, uh, that a few other states have, but not every state has, is uh, a right to privacy clause in, in the Constitution. Uh, and that is a real center of the question what the court is weighing right now with the 15-week law. Um in terms of, you know, people, arguments go back and forth on this, uh, but actually Floridians voted on this. Is that right? Yes. And, you know, with what A.G. Moody is doing right now, we know this is uh, politically motivated. Um, she's trying to stop the people um, from being able to vote on this. It's a prime example of what um, the politicians in this state have continued to do. It's disingenuous. We know in Ohio, they actually, the, the uh, politicians, political machine actually changed the uh, language um, and they cannot do that in the state of Florida. Happily, we have um, enshrined the, the law that we can, our ballot language will not be changed, cannot be changed. By the way, I saw, I don't know if you saw this in Politico, Florida Politico this morning has a story talking about, I guess, your funding. They mentioned the fact that uh, John Morgan, who was so, uh, uh, he, he contributed so much money to get medical marijuana and legal marijuana, or, or yeah, medical marijuana on the ballot back in 2016, isn't contributing to this. Uh, and looking about how much money Florida has raised, your group has raised versus, say, Ohio. Uh, how, can you talk to you, us about the fundraising that has been going through with your organization? Yes, to date, we've raised um, a record-breaking $12 million, mostly within the state of Florida, from 4,600 donors. Um, and we started a lot earlier than Ohio. So we know that Ohio was taking a lot of interest um, from the donors around the country. And we are now number one since Ohio has won. So we're really excited about the opportunity to um, continue to raise funds um, both in the state and around the country. Uh, we know it's going to take a lot of money because Florida is a large state. But um, unlike, you know, marijuana issue, which was financed by the marijuana industry, we are looking at uh, local citizens, people who believe in a Floridian's right to make their own medical decision to assist us in this effort. And what are some of the lessons you've mentioned other past campaigns to codify abortion um, in, in other states? What are some of the lessons, either good or bad, things you want to successes you want to repeat or, or mistakes you'd like to avoid as you try to bring this ballot initiative uh, across the finish line? Well, this this ballot initiative is a nonpartisan issue. And I think when you look at the composition of the groups that are involved in um, running this, we know that this is an issue that um, is supported by all Floridians by our um, polling that we've done. And so I think the most important part is to see that this is a group of um, organizations that care about access to health that the politicians should not have interference in. So um, that's probably my, my major point. Now, Barbara, uh, again, we're speaking with Barbara Jarecki, C interim CEO with Planned Parenthood of Southwest and Central Florida. You, this has been your, you know, your life work. You've certainly been fighting uh, against this. And I, you know, it is so, uh, in terms of a political story, when, when the Supreme Court ruled last year in the Dobbs case, uh, and of course it was leaked earlier by Politico that this is going to happen. As you know, this was a, a, a dream for conservatives, for, for the quote-unquote pro-life folks for, for decades. Uh, and they were successful through, you know, getting these 
justices on on the bench that wanted to do this and, and basically ignore precedents. Uh, it's been a political earthquake, and we've seen consistently over the last year and a half. Uh, state after state voting in support of abortion rights uh, every place it's gone. And as you mentioned earlier, you're confident you think if you get it on the ballot, it will get over 60 percent. And it seems like why wouldn't it? In, that's because it has happened in, you can argue, more conservative states such as Kansas. Did we just talk to you as somebody who has worked so hard on this, working for Planned Parenthood, what it was like for you? How did you feel when this did come down last year when Dobbs ruled uh, and struck down Roe v. Wade? Well, it was a stunning personal uh, emotional experience for me, really. I have a two and a half year old granddaughter who now has less rights than I have after working for I'm just not on Wi-Fi. And um, Republicans really are out of touch with what's happening um, with their constituents. People do not want folks to have um, impact on their medical decisions. And so we really know that um, time and time again, as we've seen these abortion bans get passed, the abortion uh, rights get passed on the uh, different states that have run through this, that it's a message that this is a very important um, medical decision that has to be made between a patient and their health care provider, not a politician. And Barbara, the stakes are even higher right now because of the fact that, again, as we mentioned earlier, the Florida Supreme Court is, is poised to rule any Thursday now on this 15-week law, which kicks into becoming a six-week law, which as, as, uh, as, pro, as abortion rights advocates have said, many women do not even know that they are pregnant under with six weeks. If, if that goes through, which again could happen any week now, basically, and again, we're talking about this measure, not, you know, if it gets on the ballot, not even passing for another almost a year from now, what's that going to be like for, for women here in Florida if they, we have a six-week ban? Well, we know already women in Florida are having to leave um, Florida to access medical care because of the 15-week ban. Women with um, devastating impacts to their health that can't get the care that they need now. What will happen with a six-week um, abortion ban is that we what more women will have to leave Florida in order to access care, which is simply unfathomable. When you think about the state of Florida from um, Key West all the way up to Tallahassee, Someone would have to drive, you know, over eight hours just to get out of the state and then to find a state that they couldn't get an appointment in, which Planned Parenthood would assist them with, you know, would be more hours to get to New York or Virginia or New Jersey um, in order to access an abortion. So I really think that the constituents in the state of Florida who are working very hard to um, provide the opportunity for women to make their own decisions with their health care providers will be, uh, it's going to be a dramatic uh, situation for people living in Florida, for women living in Florida. It'll be devastating. You know, Ron DeSantis uh, earlier this year, we were, you know, those of us who were up in Tallahassee, we're we're sure where he was going to go in terms of after last year, the 15 week, you know, ban came into effect and the legislature voted on that. He signed that. Then there was, you know, then Dobbs, you know, happened. And then there was talk, what will Florida go further or not? He didn't seem 
to be really committed one way or the other. Then he went ahead and did this, signed the bill at 11 o'clock at night earlier this year. And, you know, it has actually hurt him on, from amongst Republicans, right? Most recently, Robert Bigelow, a man who's given him, I believe, over $20 million, uh, is no longer supporting him because he says the six-week ban is just too far. So, you know, in terms of, of the politics of this, again, we've talked about this, you know, in terms of where all these states are voting against this. This is not where the country seemingly is at in going for this full-on ban type of thing. What are your thoughts about Governor DeSantis when he actually went ahead and, and did that six-week ban? Well, I agree that um, politicians are really out of touch with this. And if they looked at what's happening around the country, they would realize that. To me, it makes uh, perfect sense that they would look at their positions and reverse it. But at this point, what we are doing is to try to keep this decision between Floridian uh, patients and their health care providers and not the politicians. All right. I think we're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Barbara Trevecki, interim CEO for Planned Parenthood in Southwest and Central Florida and a leader in Floridians Protecting Freedom's abortion ballot initiative campaign. Uh, Planned Parenthood is one of 200 local, statewide and national organizations currently partnered with the initiative. Barbara Trevecki, great to talk to you this morning. Best of luck. And we'll talk to you soon sometime around in the future. Thanks, Meg. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Barbara. All right, that was Barbara Trevecki from Planned Parenthood of uh, Central and Southwest Florida. Or is it Southwest and Central Florida? Anyway, there we go. Okay, uh, we're going to switch gears now. Uh, yeah, so we're going to uh, go to the bar, um, I guess. Like we get some music queued up, I think. Um, Skip's going to uh, turn it on for us. We're going to listen to the whole track. Um, but as we get our next guest um, on here, we'll uh, listen to, I think it's like track number five on, on uh, it's not working. <laughs> you can sing it. You I can, can sing, sing it. it I, I would love to sing it. There it is. There we go. So listen to this for a little bit while we get uh, our next guest queued up. Oh, that was abrupt. <laughs> so we started to hear a little bit there. That was um, Sean Martin um, of the Grammy-winning jazz band Snarky Puppy um, playing Dunedin Brewery about three years ago. Um, I can't remember if that was right before the pandemic or how, how soon that was. Um, but our next guest, he is just 40 years old, but he spent 28 years of his life um, in that brewery, 13 of them um, booking music there. Michael Bryant, are, are you on here with us? I believe I'm on here. How you doing, Ray? I can hear you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for uh, making time for us here um, on the Skinny. No problem. Thanks for having me on. For sure. I got to ask one question real quick um, in my reporting of this story. I, I do need to know, are those pictures of you as a kid um, in a kilt playing bagpipes uh, at the brewery real, or is it like an AI uh, fake news type of thing? I wish I was popular enough to have AI create my image, but those are real images. Okay, okay. <laughs> I got to me. Uh, I uh, bagpiped in the brewery when they brought the tanks in, so my dad had me christen them with the bagpipes. Okay, so like Dunedin, everybody knows if if you uh, have lived in Tampa Bay for a long time, Dunedin has its own um, quirks. It's a really special um, part of the Bay Area, a special neighborhood where the water kind of comes, the, the wind comes in off the water. The, the trail. charming is often invoked about Dunedin. Charming is like a great entry point for Dunedin. There's and quirky it's happening. What with the Pinellas Trail running right through the middle of town, we jogged through there the other day. Those bars were packed. 
Okay, what day was that that you were... Uh... It was on Saturday, yeah, around noon on Saturday, a little afternoon. It was, um, I was blown away by the number of people both using the trail and also visiting the businesses alongside the trail. And I think that's something that Michael and I had, had talked about. Michael's brewery is right there on, on Douglas Avenue. There's now an apartment building in between uh, his brewery and, and the trail, but it's such an... Uh, you know, almost picturesque, perfect place um, to live and, and play. And I've been bothering Michael to talk with me for a long time. He's been very active um, in the local scene there. But we're talking because this weekend, um, Dunedin hosts, uh, I believe, the 33rd Wines of the Blues Festival. And this event was almost canceled. Um, organizers more or less said, you know, financial burdens and just the effort to kind of make it happen um, this year was going to be too much. But locals rallied and they're going to still hold the festival um, um, this weekend, a little bit uh, scaled down. But I think they felt like the festival was was part of the downtown course um, identity. And, and in the coming months, um, as we've reported here in Creative Loafing recently, um, the city of Dunedin, which has... I don't know, just about 36,000 people, I think, um, will have to make even more decisions about what its downtown core is um, and isn't. And, and Michael, please jump in and correct me if I'm wrong in, in any of this. But um, a year ago, officials in the city wanted to fast-track changes to a land development code um, that would permit restaurants and taverns to keep outdoor dining initiated during the pandemic. Um, as, as Ben alluded to, so many of the bars when you're r running by have people outside them. Um, just like every other city, I think, um, in Florida, Dunedin relaxed rules on outdoor dining um, during the pandemic so that uh, restaurants could keep people safe while uh, the world was working yeah. on a vaccine. And um, that meant more businesses where, where, where you operate, um, Michael, taking advantage of the outdoor areas. Um, that's in spite of a nearly 12-year-old um, outdoor dining ordinance that places um, restrictions on the restaurants that wish to obtain uh, a permit to serve food and drink. Can you talk a little bit about that old ordinance and some of those restrictions and then um, why your particular brewery was grandfathered, um, kind of exempt from that, Michael? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, so the original ordinance, um, like you said, it's you know over a decade old. And when it went into place, um, there wasn't much of a pushback. Um, the city was trying to encourage outdoor dining. They knew that it was important to the city and good for merchants. And at that time, they were trying to create a walkable downtown, um, which Dunedin is very much a walkable downtown. And so the ordinance passed um, without any kind of um, public input from businesses. And alongside of that, they grandfathered existing businesses to uh, keep any outdoor dining that they might have and um, stay out of compliance while any new business would have to get a permit for outdoor dining. Um, Inside that outdoor dining ordinance, it actually included a curfew, which I think most people would have actually taken issue if they had been aware of it. But like I said, there was no public input. Um, we didn't really hear much of it as a business because we were told we'd be grandfathered. It wouldn't be affecting us. And I think that's the part that kind of has turned my ear a little bit in the past year that, you know, it's great that I'm allowed to do what I want, but it kind of changes the culture of the rest of my neighbors if everybody else is restricted around me. And that, and that um, you know, you call it a curfew. I think I refer to it as a curfew-like requirement. Essentially, it faces uh, people right. who are dining outside to vacate the outdoor area by um, 11 p.m., I think Sunday through Thursday and before midnight on Friday um, and, and Saturday. Um, and you, you mentioned Dunedin Brewery and several other um, businesses uh, that were around before the ordinance was enacted being grandfathered in. But um, 
about a year ago, obviously, as, as we mentioned, the city started reworking that um, ordinance. And, and I know that the conversation has been kind of slow going, but um, could you elaborate a little bit, Michael, about why you're worried um, about changes to a land use ordinance and, and how that would you know contribute or be detrimental to your ability um, to continue to foster culture in Dunedin? Can you kind of explain that to our readers? Because I think a lot of them would say, oh, it's land use. How does that, why does that affect live music um, at a brewery? Yeah. Um, so before the pandemic, we would have music till 1 a.m. Um, it was normal. We would have a packed room until 1 a.m. Um, fast forward to when we started opening back up in late 2020. Um, we changed it and started going uh, till midnight. And that was mostly because of the change of, uh, like artist rates and stuff. So they would play less, but we would pay the same. So it was a way to us to adjust, uh, adjust, I guess, the rates to the artists. But when things came back out of the pandemic, you know, we're kind of rebuilding from scratch. There was no music for about, you know, six months, save for live streams from the brewery, which were limited to, you know, four tables. So Dunedin got very, very quiet. And during that time, a lot of people also moved to Dunedin. And a lot of people moved out. And so when we come back to, you know, the new normal or whatever we want to call it today, um, we've found that we're starting over with our business, basically. And I feel like a lot of business owners after 2020 felt the same thing and still feel the same thing. So while we had a legacy of live music in downtown, a lot of the new, uh, new residents, I would say, and new visitors aren't aware of what was there. And so the story that been told in Dunedin is it's the home of Honeymoon Island. There's a lot of outdoor activities, but none of the story in the last decade has focused on the breweries of Dunedin, the uh, nightlife, nor the live music that pretty much every single place that has a beer or wine license has live music when there's people inside, especially at night. And so the biggest concern I have, the biggest concern I have is that um, if they initiate this again, basically they'll be able to enforce something that has never been a problem in downtown, which is the curfew of, you know, being outside. It, uh, it's kind of a tricky, tricky thing to kind of keep riffing on. Basically the, you know, our old story is kind of being lost. Yeah. So, you know, if we're talking to you, you're 40 years Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Live music has been part of Dunedin Brewery for what? Forever, since day one, I think. Your dad um, opened the brewery um, in 95, and on day one, um, a guitarist and, and songwriter who still works in Tampa Bay area today, Sean DeLong, uh, was the first artist to correct. ever play that. That's correct, right? Yeah, that, was, uh, that would have been in 2001 when we opened up the current location of the brewery, which was the first one that was actually open to the public. Okay. And then for the last 13 years, you've been booking um, music there. And and just some background, I started out as a music editor at Creative Loafing, so I was paying a lot of attention to the calendar um, over there. And your calendar's active almost every night. You have music um, indoors. As you mentioned, it now runs from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. But a lot of the artists are local. Um, they, um, need stages to play. They come there, they play. I think some of your bands have, have played there as you've tried to create, um, an atmosphere where artists can kind of explore, um, their art and music there. Um, but you've also booked some pretty big,
big names. Um, there's a lot of um, jam band, electronic festivals that move through town. And you've been able to pick off um, artists. You know, we're listening to Sean Martin from Snarky Puppy. I mean, Grammys on, on Grammys, huge band um, headlines, festivals across the world. But why is Sean Martin playing Dunedin Brewery? <laughs> uh, I, I think it still comes, it all comes down to the story. Um, you know, we've been consistent in our desire to create a place that artists can, you know, as a brewery, the best thing that you can you know, say about your business is you're a place that people can let their shoulders down. I want to be a music venue where musicians and artists can let their shoulders relax. Mm. And so that right there is something that is not, it's not found in many music venues, maybe listening rooms, but a lot of places it becomes an uptight, very formal type of situation. You know, it's a performance on a stage with tickets. Ours is much more casual. The artist is right there facing the fans and it kind of brings them back to a place where, you know, where they came from. So like Sean, Sean Martin from Snarky Puppy, he, he came because he heard from the guys in Electric Kiff down in Miami that this was a venue that he should play. And slowly, uh, other people from the camp from Snarky Puppy, such as Ghost Note, uh, also heard about our place, heard the stories back from Sean and you know, other musician friends. And basically all we try to do is do the right thing and know that people will tell our story forward. And you're listening. So to the we kind of do a destination branding. Uh, 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 the focus is just kind of like a destination branding, but for music. So the voice you're hearing is Michael Lynn Bryant. He's the general manager at Dunedin Brewery. We're discussing potential changes to a land use ordinance that could affect um, his own brewery's contribution to the culture of Dunedin. If you want to chime in, 813-239-9663. Tell us about your Dunedin live music experience, what kind of town you think it is. And we do have some some people on the phones right now. So we're going to take go into the phones right now, Michael, one second. Yeah, let's go to uh, believe Sounds good. Peter calling from Tarpon Springs. Good afternoon, Mike. This is Peter D., the dancing man from Tarpon. <laughs> How you doing, Peter? Long time no I see. Missed, I, I missed some of the music that you were bringing in, but I just got to tell you a couple of things. First, you got to let us know when the Dunedin City Commission is going to have any meeting on this. Post it on the website so we can know and come and speak out. Secondly, you know I, I will brag about the Dunedin Brewery. They had been my my musical savior for years. We've seen the Fritz, Wayne, uh, what was his name? Victor Wainwright, uh, oh, yeah. Heavy Pets, the Fritz, all these bands that Michael has brought in to expose the local music scene to national acts. And like he mentioned, on a basis, you can come in and, yes, you buy a beer or some wine or some good food that they got, and you've got a musical entertainment. Now, as far as the sound thing, I remember in the past, around 11 o'clock, you'd close the big garage doors and we would hear music till one. So I don't know if that's a factor that would be something or it's just having people outside. So if we can just get some information, post on your website, any of the land use changes that uh, they're proposing so we can look at it and fight it for you, man, because we got your back. We're going to be there for you. Hey Peter, can I you appreciate tell me, that. Uh, Peter uh, and her Dunedin. What, what part are you in? Tarpon. Oh, Tarpon. That's right. Yeah, no, it's you know ten miles, but it's always worth the drive, and they got the best beer in town too. All right, thanks for the call. It's interesting to hear Peter talk about it like that. I had random people from Wisconsin tell me they only go to Dunedin 
to eat cheese curds at Dunedin Brewery. So the food and the hospitality <laughs> um, is 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 part of that um, too. Can you talk about your venture next door, Michael? Um, it's it's called the Moon Tower. Um, I describe it as a venue. Mm-hmm. I don't know you, how you describe it recently. Um, Wu Tang Clan's Jizza uh, came by to not only rap in Dunedin but also play speed chess with people of Dunedin. How does that happen? It's uh, it's just an extension of, of basically the magic that we create. So uh, the Moon Tower is an expansion next door. We actually purchased the uh, mechanic shop next door, longtime neighbors of ours. They moved out and um, offered us outright. It never went on the market. So we took them up on their offer and... Originally, it was going to be kind of a separate space with its own kind of vibe. But as soon as we opened the doors, we realized that everybody wanted just simply an expansion of Dunning Brewery. And so we kind of tweaked the model and pivoted. And now it's kind of a um, it's, you know, during the week in normal times during the summer when it's a little slower, it's more of a place to get outside of the sun, a uh, little bit of overflow and just a different casual vibe. Instead of being right there in front of the music, you can kind of, you know, have a little more space. But it also allows us to, whenever we decide to, you know, hire a bigger act or even put the acts that we, you know, cram onto our small stage. Like, you know, bring a band like Ghost Note, they should, they're playing festivals. And so we wanted to expand that a long time, but it's not been very easy because we can't really put a stage outside due to the noise ordinance, et cetera. So this kind of allows us to expand our programs as they exist. Um, But yeah, it's, I would say it's a music venue, a creative venue. It's also an event space where people can rent it out for, you know, private events, corporate events and such like that. Can you talk to me? So technically the Moon Tower is, is a new venture, so it wouldn't be grandfathered into this old sound ordinance. So um, correct me again if I, I'm wrong, but it seems like you're running two different um, concepts or, or properties, restaurants that are operating under two different rules. So how does the ordinance that you do yeah. have to follow um, change the way things are done at the Moon Tower um, versus, you know, how it's been at Dunedin Brewery. Okay, so there's a stay on enforcement, but we did have to apply for an outdoor dining uh, permit for that new expansion. Our liquor license, it, our wet zone ultimately is, you know, contiguous. So people can walk with beer from one property to the other. So according to the state, it's all one singular business. But in the city of Dunedin, they really are, uh, you know, kind of sticklers on their permitting process. And so when we went to expand in that, they did make us go through the outdoor dining. Uh, So basically what that says is we can only have 24 seats out front. Um, It limits that unless we want to appeal to a board of uh, basically a board of adjustment. And so that would be a long process if we wanted to do that. Um, Yes, it kind of just restricts us in a way that we're not used to. We're used to, you know, about 30 years of, ultimately doing what we can to, you know, raise our business up in a DIY manner because the part of Dunedin that we exist in was once, you know, the, the scary part, you know, quote unquote. And so it's, it's very strange to have two, the same business operate in two different ways, but I think that's what draws my attention more to the problem. I've got my foot in two different, you know, ponds. And so I'm feeling what new business owners would feel. And I also feel what an old business owner would feel. 
You listen to the voice of Michael and Bryant, the GM of Dunedin Brewery. We're talking about potential changes to a land use ordinance that could affect the way live music and just gathering outdoors and gathering en masse past uh, certain times of the night uh, could change. I, I should say that we did ask officials from the city of Dunedin to join us um, on the show today, and they declined to be on the radio. But um, in a story that we did for Creative Loafing, um, <clears throat> they did talk about some of the changes. And real quick, separately, um, Michael, the officials told me that they have, and I've heard them say this in, in uh, recordings of the meetings, but they have zero interest in messing with this the separate sound ordinance. Um, do you believe them uh, when they say that? Because I know that your brewery has been visited by uh, enforcement officials. Yeah, I actually, I'm actually a, an advocate for the city. I think that ultimately the problem is they get in their in their own way sometimes. So I actually believe the city does want the same thing that the businesses downtown want. It's the reason why people moved to downtown. Um, so, you know, I think that, could, could you refer, could you ask the question one more time? Well, I mean, we've talked about the sound ordinance. It's separate from the land use ordinance. Let's the be clear. Ordinance, yeah. um, so, and, and so they come in, they yeah. come in with a reader based on what time of the night it is and tell you whether or not you're above the decibel threshold and sure. they issue the manager on duty a ticket sometimes. But the city yeah. says they don't yeah. want to mess with that. So I just wanted to know if you right. believe that that was a true statement from the municipality. So, yeah, I do believe that. Um, I, there are some business owners that, believe that if we could change the sound ordinance that that would uh, correct our problem um, and what they normally suggest is that we go to the county ordinance which is about 10 decibels louder up until 11 p.m. Um, what happens at 11 p.m. though in the county ordinance is it significantly goes to a quiet zone so I don't know if that's necessarily the answer um, Mayor Julie Bujowski has been very very uh, stiff on not uh, not touching it because she was around as a commissioner when uh, the original ordinance was passed, my parents were a part of the task force that um, helped build the ordinance. And yeah, I, I do believe them. I think that that's the other thing is that to me, the sound ordinance kind of takes care of the problem that an 11 p.m. curfew might um, with people being outside. Uh, I think that there are two separate problems and I think the sound ordinance handles it fine. I do think that the only problem we've had with uh, the sound ordinance is just a confusion of enforcement. So as Pinellas County officers get trained more, uh, more strategically by their uppers, that seems to be working better. I think of, usually we have a problem with the sound ordinance every five years or so, and the officers are always rotating out and then the captain ro rotates out, the leadership rotates out. And if the city doesn't, you know, continue to retrain, 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 and spend more time on retraining rather than changing things, I think things would be better off. And, you know, you invoked uh, mayor, the, the mayor, and she told us that they do not have any changes to discuss on this land use ordinance, which is, you know, it struck me as if you've been working on it for a year, you would think it'd be pretty close. Um, but she did mention, you mentioned this downtown task force. I think that's morphed into a business resident city council um, that's supposed to be a Correct. good liaison. How close do you think you are to the city actually moving on this land ordinance? Um, and what are those conversations like? Like, do you feel that it, this is going to work out for um, live music and, and just a late night culture um, in Dunedin? Yeah, I think that, um, well, the city of Dunedin is going through a little bit of a branding tweak. Um, they do it about every 10 years. And I've seen the responses in the Facebook group while it was doing some research. And it seemed like everything that, that I love about Dunedin, live music, Scottish culture, um, quirkiness, art, 
is shared amongst all the people that, you know, live around here. So it seems like, and it was quoted in your article that, uh, they'll be using live music as a brand pillar. And I think that that right there shows that we're in the right path. And I think the city knows which direction to go. I think it's, um, more of a logistical nightmare because there's an existing ordinance. They put a stay on enforcement. There hasn't been any problems. So my question would to basically the city would be why not just keep a stay on enforcement permanent if there is no issue. Right on. We've been talking with Michael and Brian, the GM at Dun Edenbury, about potential changes to a land use ordinance that could affect the way venues like his contribute to the nighttime culture of Dun Eden. We'll keep an eye on this. Um, Michael, thanks for making time for us uh, today here on The Skinny. We appreciate that. Thanks so much for giving oh, and, me and the time. And kudos to, the to uh, getting all local beer taps at Dunedin, uh, Dunedin Wines and Blues this weekend. That was a great effort from you. That, that, so I think you said over 30 years. Yeah, this is the first time ever that a downtown Dunedin um, event has just featured local Dunedin made beers. So um, we're going to work on making sure that all breweries are included. But this year we've got Hob and Dunedin Brewery. So, yeah, we kicked them in the nuts and... <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm interested in this uh, in this issue on a bigger scale. Do, uh, and uh, I was heading into Ybor City the other day, and there's a flashing a traffic sign that says, "Turn them down." You know, uh, turn your music down. Um, I realize that's that's we're talking about automobiles, but uh, it does creep up. Uh, uh, you know, I'm aware of an issue at uh, Shuffle, the bar that sometimes hosts. Uh, music in its back lot, uh, where I've seen you a time or two mm-hmm. before, Ray. Um, is there any city in the area that you're aware of that's sort of doing this right in an ideal way? And are there lessons to be learned from that? Or do you pay attention? Um, I, I've done a little research. It's very hard to find, um, you know, especially in Florida. Obviously, Key West is a great example of a small, creative place, but it's very, very popular compared to, say, Dunedin. Um, some people compare Dunedin's uh, potential problem of nightlife becoming like Ybor City, which I think is a crazy exaggeration. Right. Um, I think Dunedin's doing a good job, to be honest. I think that when we come up to these problems, um, there's not enough conversation about it. It stays very hyper-local. So, you know, like Ray brought up the task force, and then that becomes the BRC. The BRC is three residents, three people from the businesses, and three people from the city. That the conversation happens there, but it needs to come outside. We all need to know what's going on in our city. And I think it's not that the city has a lack of transparency. It's that they try to uh, speak to individuals rather than everybody as a group. But I have not seen necessarily a, uh, an ordinance locally that's um, good. I know St. Pete over near Janus Landing, they have their own um, zone for a live music and entertainment area that lets them have music a little later than other parts of St. Pete. That would probably be the best example. Thanks. Thanks. All right, Michael, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Cheers, guys. See ya. All right. Michael and Bryant there. Okay, we're at 1148 here on WMNO on the skinny here. Mitch Perry with Ray Roa, Ben Montgomery. We've got about 10, a little over 10 minutes to go here. We'll open the phones, 813-239-9663. You can call us about anything. It's under the sun right now. What happening? Well, we've got some time, though. I want to go back to Ben Montgomery because... Uh, Ben, I, I'm really fascinated by this. I, I'm a runner, but I don't, you know, I run five miles a day. That's basically what I do. I do compete in some races. I'm going to run on the Thanksgiving trot. You know, there's a race in St. Pete. It's kind of fun. I've never done a marathon. I've always been a little intimidated by that. 
an ultra marathon, when I read about these things, they kind of blow my mind. So the fact that you told me last Friday when you were leaving here that you're going to be participating in this, the first one we've ever had actually here in Tampa, uh, and you did this, um, mentally, what is that like? How Again, how many hours were you actually running on Sunday? Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> We uh, we ran 17 hours. At least we were on the road 17 hours. Part of that was walking. Uh, I would say the ratio to r- running to walking is about 10 miles to one mile. So walking every one mile. For every 10 miles that we were jogging. Now, th- this is um, a very long race. And so uh, people might argue that what we're doing is not actually running. It's more like shuffling uh, our miles per minute. It was about 10 or 11 miles per minute. I'm sorry, uh, mi- min- minutes per mile. Yeah, that's my top uh, so, speed. By yeah, the way. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's not horrible. I it's, mean, it's not. It's not. Um, the, the mental preparation, uh, you know, it's a lot. I've been thinking about this since about April, maybe April or May, uh, when. And the announcement came to me that they were hosting the first ever Tampa Bay 100 Ultra Marathon. So I've been training for it now for months. And I had that date in mind, November 4th, for quite a few months. Um, so when it came time to race, I, I was feeling in pretty good shape. I'd lost about, I'm not a heavy guy. I've never been a heavy guy. But I lost about 30 pounds really? just in the training and the preparation. What do you weigh this. right now? I'm down to about 155, uh, which is very light for me healthy in terms of BMI, it, it turns out, but um, uh, this required, you know, a lot of training. I was running every uh, every morning between five and 10 miles, sprinkling in a couple of 13, 14 mile runs here and there. Uh, my longest run preceding this race uh, in the past calendar year was about 22 miles. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of training involved and a lot of mental training yeah. as well. You know that the pain is going to come. And part of that is just getting used to that idea that it's right around the corner. It hit for us about mile 50, 55 when, uh, and that sounds like a very long way. It is a long, a long way, I guess, but coming <laughs> over the, the Clearwater, uh, pass, uh, San Key Causeway, I guess, um, was, uh, you know, when I, the first time that I realized, boy, my legs are sore, uh, it's difficult to move, difficult to keep going. Um, and, and you did though, you kept on was, going. Yeah. And I, I, well, I was sort of ready for that. I was, yeah. you know, uh, I don't, I don't know how you, um, explain this, but I, I, you know, before the race began, I sort of got in my mind that at some point this was going to hurt very, very badly. And, and so when the pain <laughs> arrived, I was something that I welcomed, um, and um, you know that's part of part of the preparation. Just getting used to the idea that the pain is coming. I should mention what I'm uh, working on a story for Ray at Creative Loafing about this whole thing. I should mention that um, you know I've been sober since January first, and a part of this uh, a part of this for me was getting off the drink and uh, and finding a channel for this newfound energy. Right. Uh, which is a big deal. I've been a daily drinker for most of my adult a daily, life. Daily, daily drinker. drinker yeah. yeah, for most of my adult life. Um, also, a very hard worker. It's part of my right. upbringing. Was the balance of work. Well, you uh, also, the yeah, the you also right. were. Uh, this is something very unique to that you've done that I've noticed. Right, you were a big walker. You like years ago wrote a story in the Times about how you left your home in Seminole Heights and walked across. Howard Franklin, or, or yeah, yeah the, it's a St. Pete, which is pretty Saint insane. Back, that was probably the longest I had actually ever been on foot before Saturday. Uh, I think that that trip was about fifty-two miles. 
uh, to downtown St. Pete and back. The, the experiment then was to try to see if I could go without a car for an entire week in July in Florida. And lots of lessons were learned uh, there. Uh, it's hard to get around without a car. Um, that was different, of course, because I was walking. Uh, that was a different kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, in many ways, it was more lonely, that, that trek. Uh, you know, it was just me. There, there were no other runners out there. In this case, there were at least 73 people who started, 50 finishers, 23, we call them DNF, did, yes. did not finish. Yeah. Yes, yes. Hey, by the way, before we go we continue on that conversation, let's go back to uh, Pete from Dunedin. We're talking about Dunedin here. Uh, somebody wants to, Pete wants to talk about that. Hi, Pete, you're on the air. Hi, uh, I just wanted to offer a couple of comments about the Dunning Brewery. I've been around here for 20 years plus, and um, the Dunning Brewery is a unique thing. It's, uh, it's so unique uh, that others want to replicate it, and uh, that's uh, kind of what is happening at this point. Uh, other large businesses have moved into the area, and they have done a pretty good job. Uh, and... Um, you know, that's okay, uh, but, like, for instance, the building that they, the rental building that they built directly across the street from the Dunning Brewery, um, you know, it, it would be obvious to anyone if they were going to rent there that, yeah, I'm, I'm moving into a place that's directly across the street from an entertainment venue uh, that does have late-night late night music. And uh, I think it would be judicial to have everybody that's going to rent in there sign a waiver saying that, yes, I understand that I'm moving into an apartment directly across the street from an entertainment venue. Uh, I've seen acts there from all over, uh, amazing bands, you know, uh, like uh, Las Vegas show bands uh, in in that little space, and it's astounding the amount of talent that's brought in there. Uh, There's never a charge, uh, and it's got the best theater anywhere. So, you know... It's worked perfectly for decades, and the only thing that has changed is the surroundings. Uh, The Dunning Brewery has not changed. Uh, They shouldn't. Uh, The business plan has worked perfectly for decades. And um, what has changed is the surrounding areas and people moving in and businesses moving in, and uh, they want things their way. And uh, they should understand that. You know, the reason that that area has become so popular is because of the Dunning Brewery. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, I just wanted to throw that yeah. out there. And uh, stand fast. Stand <laughs> fast, Michael. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Peter. What about residents? Um, oh, sorry. Did we let Peter yeah, I think he's still on. Yeah. I just wonder, what about residents? Should they sort of, uh, you know, if, if you're buying a house within earshot of the Dunedin Brewery, should you, um, you know, I mean, obviously, you're going to do your research, right? But should you um, uh, do a little uh, a pre-work to see what it sounds like there at night mm-hmm. to see if the if the, and I'm telling you, this, this is not just uneaten we're talking right. about, right? I mean, this every uh, it's common uh, sense. Yeah. I, I've uh, I've gone to buy properties and I went down there uh, at eleven, twelve o'clock at night, and uh, it's like, hmm, okay, it's a little bit noisy, and then I went at six thirty in the morning, and there was a uh, a recycling center nearby, and they were recycling a gigantic trailer full of glass, and it sounded like World War Three yeah. when they emptied it. And I said, "No, I'm not going to buy this property." Right, right. But you have to do your due diligence, and if you don't, well, too bad. Well, thank you, uh, Pete. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you out there. It reminds me, though, by the way, a couple of years ago, you know, we've been talking about Ybor City in the news the last couple of weeks with the violence. But um, a bigger you know, story of a couple of years ago was about a noise ordinance in Tampa. And it wasn't just, you know, Ebor was kind of the focus, but actually it was over Channel Side area mm-hmm. that folks were really having an issue. And we've seen what, you know, I was down there last night in that area. Uh, the Water Street complex, which is just amazing, by the way, Wait, the transformation. Uh, it feels like you're in a different city. It really does. Uh, I, and I still haven't really been to enough venues around there. And it's actually. loud. There's a trolley. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was I was actually this thing for the um, uh, Ocean, I forget, the Alliance, and they did a thing out at Terminal 2 yesterday, a couple uh-huh. of climate science. Anyway, it was fascinating, but so much energy going on there. But 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 it came back to this thing about when it was an Evor talking about, and you're mentioning, like, you kind of got to know in some places if you're living down there, people move down there for the energy, for the knowing. I mean, right, this is, happens in every city in terms of that contrast between residential living and, uh, you know, commercial businesses such as nightclubs. Yeah, and I think the best kind of... Uh, Soho you know, is another big thing. I'm sorry. You know, like, South, remember years ago, I did stories right. about this with CL on on Howard, you know, when Soho really was exploding. And it still is. I mean, it's yeah. still very busy, but I think even uh, Ariel Quintana, who's a partner with Daryl Shaw, in reporting on New World Brewery closing and those apartments opening, he had mentioned that... He, they were putting in sound mitigation mm-hmm. elements into the building construction itself. So those residents were fully aware yeah. of, of the kind of place that uh, Ebor was. And it'll be interesting to see what unfolds in Ebor. I mean, as you alluded to, Mitch, the Ebor is dead story or something about Ebor is always resurfaces every It, it is, it does. And it's going to always continue. I mean, well, I hope in terms of, I, you know, I, I, again, I drove through there this, this morning coming over here. I still can't believe on 15th, what is it? I mean, the one of the main areas of Ebor is vacant. This is what blows me away is uh, it seemed like a prime time spot on 7th Avenue and 15th Street. Uh, it's like a, a house of horrors. When we, when I was a creative local, we used to write about that place. So it, it'd be, you know, some business would channel through there. But, I mean, nothing's been there for a long time, actually. Uh, and um, with other things going on around there, what Shaw is going to be doing, and we'll see how that plays out. Um, but it will remain because Tampa, it's one of the most unique, interesting places that we have in Tampa. It, Water Street can do all it's going to do, and it really brings a whole din- dynamic there. But Ebor's is historic and classic and Cuban, and that's just so much of what the DNA of the city of Tampa is. And it talks about the enduring spirit of a neighborhood after after people have inhabited certain city blocks for so long. You cannot remove that kind of vibrancy and that kind of life. And while Ebor's gone through different cycles of being a neighborhood and being an entertainment district, there's so much history of humanity baked into the street there that to try and pull back from that and, and rewrite it in a way that's non-organic, I, I feel like is an effort that is doomed to hit a lot of roadblocks. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, even the talk, what's not going to happen now, of a baseball park, which was something that was talked about even, well, a couple years ago, then it resurfaced last year, would have, that would have transformed the neighborhood. And some people were into that, actually. It reminds me that 7-Eleven is down there. That was controversial by some, but others said, like, hey, you're bringing business down here anyway. That Again, another street corner that had nothing in there. I go to that 7-Eleven, man. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say I go to the bodegas. I go to the 7-Eleven, so... Um, All right. Yeah, so thanks for listening to the skinny here today on WMNF Tampa. Big thanks to DJ Spaceship with a bum angle running our phone, Skip Sassy, and his beautiful wife in the studio today. I want to say happy 40th birthday to my wife, um, Danielle. Oh, yes. Um, and congrats birthday, to you, uh, Ben, Mitch. Thanks for a great show. Right. Joe Ellen is next door. Please stay tuned for Art in Your Ear. You're listening to WMNF Tampa.